right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Usually, um, I would go ahead and just read through the whole passage and then take time to unpack it, but this is a long message. And so uh, I want to, for time's sake, we're just going to go verse by verse and um, we're just going to dive into it. So first, recognizing the Lord is, again, focused on the book of Nehemiah, had us focusing on this book. It's a book that displays the heart of God when it comes to upbuilding his kingdom. You know, when I look at how God has blessed Coastal Church and how he has opened doors for us to campus and grow our local churches. It's a result of the leadership and the biblically based vision to preach the gospel and pour into the body of Christ. As you heard our senior pastor say, that is the vision of this church. And so the reason why we want to focus on Nehemiah starting with chapter one, because it's a book that gives us an idea of having vision on how to serve in the kingdom of God. And so the very first point I want to make before we dive into the scripture is that Christians love God's people. Because when we look at this text, it's also a lesson on how Christians handle life situations and how Christians handle one another, how Christians live in serving one another in the kingdom. And so Christians love God's people. The first few verses of Nehemiah 1, it says, now, this is the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, or whatever his name is, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who have survived the exile concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard those words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so before I apply this text, I want to just unpack it first by giving some background. So the nation of Israel, they grew more wicked, they grew more rebellious as the years went by against the Lord. And so God allowed a stronger nation, a stronger nation to come and overtake Israel by sending them into exile as promised in Deuteronomy 28. And so over a century later, century has passed, here we are while the nation is still living in exile, Nehemiah crosses paths with his brothers and he asks how things are going in Jerusalem. How are things and how are the Jews that escaped and survived the exile? How is Jerusalem as a city? But when these men come back from Jerusalem, their homeland, they, they this, this homeland of their nation, they come back with nothing but bad news. They tell Nehemiah that the people are in great trouble and they're in great shame and the city is in ruins. The walls are broken. The gates are burned by fire. Nehemiah hears this news and he weeps. Before we go into that, I want to just talk about the importance of a city wall so we kind of understand why Nehemiah is weeping and why he's heartbroken over this. In ancient world, a city wall, city gates was the greatest form of defense against their enemy. And so every nation knew 
that when a city is surrounded by a wall, that was a city you didn't mess with. A city with a wall was a city that was always prepared for attack because a city wall displayed strength. It displayed strategy. It displayed power. It displayed authority. And so a city without a wall was seen as a weak and helpless nation, a weak, helpless city. They were seen as a nation that could be overtaken with ease. And so Jerusalem's wall was destroyed. It was a city that was totally vulnerable. We also need to remember, again, this exile took place over a century ago. And so before this, the wall was fine. But then they come in, they overtake it, the wall is destroyed. This happens over a century ago, about 150 years. That's just as long as the Civil War was from this time period. And so 150 years have passed. And after all that time, the city was never rebuilt. Verse 3, it says, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah hears this news. He's heartbroken. The Bible says in verse 4 that he weeps and he mourns. He didn't just cry and he moved on. He mourned for days. That's grief. Nehemiah is grieved over this. I understand that the wall was a big deal, but why would he grieve? Why would he mourn? What, what was so devastating about this news that it would cause Nehemiah to sit and weep and fast and make sacrifices for days? And the reason why I believe that Nehemiah wept over this is because I believe that the news of Jerusalem's condition, it was a wake-up call to Nehemiah for several reasons. One of those reasons was it represented the brokenness of his people. That broken wall represented the brokenness of Israel. For Nehemiah to sit and weep like this, it displays his love for the nation of Israel. Through Christ, through Christ, those who surrender to him as Lord, we are now recognized as a spiritual nation, a spiritual family. And as one family in Christ, we should love one another so much that when we recognize the brokenness among other Christians, other brothers and sisters, it should grieve our hearts. It should grieve our hearts. This is why Coastal adopts. This is why they bring in churches and they make them campuses because all throughout the Hampton Roads, there are dying churches struggling to make ends meet. There are churches trying to figure out how they're going to be effective in the community. And this, knowing this, grieves the leadership of Coastal Church and it should grieve the leadership of the members or the, it should grieve the heart of the members. Knowing that there are churches struggling every day, closing their doors every week because they can't afford to preach. They can't afford to serve the community. This is why Coastal's mission is to adopt campuses because it grieves our heart because we're one family in Christ. And so we should love one another so much that we should mourn when we see Christians struggling in any area of their lives. Another reason why Nehemiah mourned was because of the sins of the people. The nation of Israel was in exile because they refused to obey God's command. And even while they were in exile, they were still living in rebellion. They still refused to obey 
God's command. But Nehemiah still, he had such a burden and such a love for God's people that he wept and he mourned, he fasted and he made sacrifices and he took their needs to God. Which brings me to the next point. Christians cry out to God. Christians cry out to God. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. Nehemiah is weeping because he loves God's people and he cares deeply about their struggles. He cares very deeply about their walk with the Lord. Nehemiah weeps because he recognizes that there's sin in the nation. But notice the first thing he does. In this situation, when his heart aches for God's people, when he's broken over the sins of the nation, when he's distraught over the condition of his homeland, the first thing he does is he takes his concern to God. I want to take time to unpack this prayer starting at verse 5. He says, and I said, O Lord, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So first, when we pray, we acknowledge God first. When we pray, we acknowledge God first. This is the posture of worship. Nehemiah acknowledges who God is first. He says, O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Nehemiah, he acknowledges him as the God of heaven. In other words, the God of all. That's a declaration of surrender, a declaration of surrender to the Lord as God. Nehemiah recognizes that God is still in charge. That's the heart of prayer. That's the heart of worship that we're going to see all throughout Scripture, outside of Nehemiah. You look at Isaiah 37, 16. Isaiah says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Even Jesus teaches in Matthew 6. You may have heard this prayer, and you may hear me mention this prayer several times throughout the message, but he said, because it's extremely important, and it's actually kind of parallel with Nehemiah's prayer. But Jesus says, he starts by praying. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer always starts with honoring God as Lord. He recognizes that God is in charge. And so there can be a sense of relief. There's a sense of relief knowing that God's in charge. There's a sense of relief knowing that you don't have to have that burden on your shoulders. Because we don't have to depend on our own strength. We can lean on the strength of God. We can lean on the wisdom of God. We can lean on him. And that's what Nehemiah continues to do and continue to say in this prayer. He says in verse 5 again, he honors God as Lord. He says he is the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. This means, first off, he says he is the great and awesome Lord. That means God is not our buddy. God is not just the man upstairs. The Bible says he is great. That word great in this passage is used to attempt to cover just about every attribute of God that the human mind can grasp. And so that's a point of authority. That's a, that's a word of boldness. His eternal existence, God was never formed or he was never created. He, is, he has wisdom and he has power. God does not need guidance. He doesn't need wisdom. He doesn't need counsel. He is all powerful. He is great. 
The Bible says Nehemiah goes on and then he calls him awesome. He keeps us in awe and some, a large degree of. So his presence, his word, his character should keep us in a large degree of awe. He is awesome. He is faithful because Nehemiah looks back over his life and in the lives of his people. And he says again in verse five, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I want you to know about the God we're praying to. Nehemiah is looking back over his life and over the lives of his people, and he's reflecting over everything that he's been taught from Scripture. And when he looks back, he can say, based on what he's read, God is faithful. Sometimes looking back over your life is necessary because sometimes we can't understand what God is doing in this current season. Sometimes we may it seems like he's distant. Sometimes it seems like he can't hear us. Sometimes it seems like his eyes aren't even on us. Sometimes it seems like he doesn't even know the names of his children. But looking back at how God has brought you through hardship will remind you of his faithfulness. Sometimes looking back at how God has brought others through should teach you and remind you of his faithfulness. And if it's a challenge for you to look back, just look through the word. Look through the passage of scripture. Look at how he was faithful to the Hebrews all throughout their sinful lives. He brought them through all types of slavery and bondage. God is faithful and his word affirms that. Nehemiah honors God as Lord. We honor who God is first. He is great and he is awesome. And then he does something humbling. He does something humbling in this prayer. So he recognizes who God is, then he recognizes who he is. Verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7, he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I, and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And so he recognizes first the beauty of God's holiness and his righteousness. Then he looks at himself. This is why we recognize God first. This is why we don't come to God and just talk about us. Because when we look at how God is, it should humble us. When we look at how holy he is, it should humble us. You know, humility is very hard sometimes. We don't like to feel bad about ourselves, and sometimes we don't like to feel that we're not good enough. That's why if you ever see people do presentations, and, and everybody's trying to figure out who's going to go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. You know, I'll just go first. Because the thing is, we want sometimes we rush to go first because we don't want the next person to outdo us. So if they go next... You know, they do so well, everybody forgets how bad yours was. You know? Am I the only one in here that? Okay. And so that's why sometimes we go to God and we pray and we just come about ourselves first. God, this is what I'm dealing with. I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe. But who is God? When you look at who God is first, then you examine yourself. You become thankful. You're grateful. You're humbled 
Because he is holy compared to us as sinners. We're broken. We go to God first, not only for, to be humble in terms of who we are, but we go to God. If we go to God first, then we might forget about how bad our problems are compared to who he is. Nehemiah, he honors the Lord first, and he goes to God, and he makes, he sees how sinful he is. It's a real prayer of humility. The thing I love about this prayer is that Nehemiah does not separate himself from the sins of the nation. That's why you go to God first, because now Nehemiah sees himself just as sinful as everyone else. Nehemiah, he doesn't say, he doesn't come in here and he says, I apologize for how they've been acting. Nehemiah doesn't come in there and say, you, you know how they are. Just, just don't mind them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Nehemiah comes in and he says, all of us are sinful. All of us are broken. So I can't hold my sin or I can't, you can't hold your sin over my head. And I can't hold your sin over your head because we're all broken and we're all sinful. And so we should pray for one another. That's why Nehemiah mourns because he's not just mourning over their sin. He's mourning over the fact that all of us have rebelled against God. We're all sinful together. And so the first thing Nehemiah, he recognized again who God is. He took it to God. He didn't bash them for their sin. He didn't gossip. He took it to God. Something else I want to point out about prayer and I'm saying this because small group season is starting. I've been in several small groups where we use prayer requests as a form of gossip. I have seen people disguise gossip as a prayer request. I need you just to pray for so-and-so. I just saw her looking at me the other day, and she said this, and she said that, and I know she's having marital problems, and she's having this in her house, and I saw this person doing that, and then I saw her husband doing this the other day, and this, this. I'm just saying all that to say keep them in prayer. <laughs> now, you, now everybody knows everything they're dealing with. That's gossip. When we come to God, that's not an opportunity to bash one another. We're family. Keep so-and-so in prayer. They're just dealing with some stuff. They, get, they got some struggles at home. Keep them in prayer. That, that's for the pastor to know. That's for the small group leader to know. He comes to God. He doesn't bash people. He doesn't gossip. He doesn't go around the city talking about other people's flaws. But he takes that burden. He takes their sin to God, and he lifts them up in prayer. That is the heart of a kingdom-minded person, a kingdom-minded man, a kingdom-minded woman. Our heart should be for the kingdom to spread the gospel on this earth, to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we do that by prayer. We do that by loving one another and walking with one another through trial and hardship. So again, Nehemiah goes to God. He hears this issue. He mourns. He fasts. He prays. He recognizes his sin. And then he prays that God will transform their hearts and bring them back to him. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time? You saw the struggles of someone else and you mourned. You were grieved 
over the struggles of someone else in, in the family of Christ? When was the last time you were mourning and you grieved and you fasted that someone who is wayward and backslidden would come back to Christ, would confess their sins? When was the last time you saw a family member who was not saved and it grieved your heart, it grieved your spirit, you mourned over them and you fasted that God would open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. That's what it means to be a Christ-centered, kingdom-minded person. So the first thing Nehemiah does, takes the sins of the people to the Lord. He recognized the holiness of God. It causes him to see his own sin. It causes him to repent because Christians always do repent. Real Christians repent. And then he moves on. He cries out to God in distress. The next thing Nehemiah does, he recognizes God's word, verses 8 and 9. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through, the, through your outcast are the uttermost parts of heaven. From there, I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah prays and saturates his prayer in scripture. The scriptures are so powerful. The reason why they're powerful, they give us what we need to live out this life. Everything we need is in the scriptures. Everything that we need to grow in our walk with God can be found in the scriptures. The scriptures, they remind us of who he is. They remind us of who we are as God's creation. The word reminds us that we're sinners with fleshly desires to rebel against God. The scriptures, they tell us that we sin and we're trying to walk away from God's expectations, but it also reminds us how we can be restored. It teaches us how we can be Renewed. And so Nehemiah remembered what the scripture said regarding repentance. And he remembered what God said in his word concerning his people. And so when we pray, I encourage you to declare scriptures. The scriptures, they're breathed out by God according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Titus 1 and 2, it says that God cannot lie. And so if we're, breathe, if we're, if we're declaring scriptures that are breathed out by a God who cannot lie, Every time we pray scripture in context, we're praying truth. And so God's word is powerful. It's a two-edged sword. What does, God say, what does God's word say about your situation? What does God's word say about what you're wrestling with? What does God's word say about everyday life? Some of you may need peace in your heart. God's word addresses that area of our lives. He says in Isaiah 6 and 23 that he'll keep us in perfect peace if our minds are stayed on him. He promised to be with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. He said that he would never forsake, the, he told us never to forsake the assembling of ourselves because we can sense his presence when we're alone by the company of fellow believers. We need to declare God's word in prayer. When we declare God's word, we're reminded of how much greater he is than our hardship. Nehemiah, he recognizes God's holiness, which causes him to recognize his sinfulness. He declares his dependency upon the Lord by declaring his word, that, that the kingdom would come. When we pray as children of God, he hears our prayer and he will answer. Nehemiah saw the need of the people. 
and knew that it needed to be filled. And so what Nehemiah needed next is vision on what to do next. He prays, and now he needs vision. Next point, God gives vision. God gives vision. Nehemiah, he recognizes the need for his people. He prays. And we'll find out later that God gives him the vision to go rebuild the wall. Vision gives you a glimpse of what is to come before you get there physically. It gives you a glimpse of what is to come before you get there physically. Any Anytime you want to remodel a room, whether it's in your home or at work or just anytime you want to remodel a room, you know what colors you want to put in there. You know what furniture you want. You know what pictures you want to hang up or not. You're getting a glimpse of what is to come before you get there physically. And so that's why we want to focus on vision because I want to point out I'm going to use this point as a recap of what we just talked about in the prayer. So Nehemiah prays. His prayer can teach us a few things about a kingdom-centered vision. His prayer teaches us that God is in charge. We learned that. And because he's in charge, he's the only one that can bring clear vision on how to build his kingdom. So no one else can give us accurate vision on how to serve God but God. And so that's why Nehemiah goes to God first. He doesn't go to the king or his peers. He goes to God. And because when God comes and when God reveals, it's accurate and it's based on his word. God will be the only one who can give us clear direction. This prayer teaches that we're sinful. And so our sinful nature, it distorts our view of God and his will. And so nothing in this world qualifies us to execute the vision that God gave us. God is the only one who can qualify us. God does not, what is it, what is it, God does not call those who are qualified, he qualifies those that are called. So this means that we need to learn the greatness and be reminded of the greatness of God's power and strength so that we can hear and see what he wants us to do. It's a prayer that teaches that only God can give vision based on his word. So we may wonder, how, how am I supposed to know what God wants me to do? How am I supposed to know if this is God telling me to move forward in this area or not? Find it in the scripture. Coastal seeks, we, we seek to plant campuses, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We seek to make authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We seek to connect. We seek to grow. We seek to serve. How do you know that this vision is from God? Because you can find it in the scripture. You can find every part of Coastal's vision in scripture, Matthew 28, 19, 20, Jesus says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16, uh, 15, Jesus says again, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. You know, when I look at the ministry of Paul, it's believed that Paul planted over 10 churches in his lifetime. Just about every letter that he wrote in the New Testament was to a church he planted. So that means people like Epaphroditus and Timothy, they were just first century campus pastors. They were just first century, and, 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 and Paul was a first century Sean Brown. I don't know if Sean would want that me to say that or not. But. 
This is recorded, right? <laughs> so, so, so if you need to look at whether this vision is Bible-based, read scripture. If you need to know if Coastal's beliefs and their structure are based on scripture, just read it. The vision of Coastal's leadership is found, is found in scripture. So because Coastal strives to base everything on God's word, every way that they love and every way they serve, every way they connect, they try to do it based on scripture. So Nehemiah sees the need, he prays to God. The last lesson that Nehemiah teaches, his prayer teaches, is recognizing that pursuing a God-centered vision, a Bible-based vision, it requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Look at verse 11, it says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. I want to focus on the last sentence of verse 11. It says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. And the sentence before that, he says, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So Nehemiah sees the need, and his desire was to go to the king. He was a cupbearer to the king. His desire was to go to the king and let him know what needed to be done. The reason why that's a big deal is because Nehemiah could have lost his job focusing on anything else outside of his job. He was a cupbearer to the king. He spent a lot of time pursuing this vision to restore the wall of this unimportant city. The king could have easily been like, why do you care about that? If you want to do that, go and do that, but find another job. The king could have easily said, if that's what your focus is on, go focus on that, and I'll, get, I'll hire somebody else. So this is, all that's, this is all the things that's going on in Nehemiah's head. He's a cupbearer to the king, and he knows that his occupation is necessary. He's a cupbearer to the king. This is a, this is a job of luxury. This is a, this is a sought-after job that several people throughout the palace desire. He gets access to all the luxuries of life because all he has to do is serve the king his wine and his liquids and whatever. And, that, and, he goes, and he goes about his day. And he gets paid very well. He has a place to stay. It's a stress-free job, serving the highest level. And he is willing to risk all of this to go to an area that is seen as unimportant to serve God. And so his prayer is that God would give him favor with this king. He requests divine favor. That's a heart of sacrifice. When we are seeking to move forward as campusing, it's our prayer that God would give us divine favor. As we're moving forward with campusing, adopting churches, serving in several ministries, we need divine favor because there are sacrifices that will have to be made. What are you willing to sacrifice moving forward to serve God? It may be your time. It may be your money. What are you willing to sacrifice? He saw the need. He repented. He prayed for strength that God would give him vision. And then my last point, 
Nehemiah took action. Christians take action. Christians take action. He received the news from his homeland that it was destroyed. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, he made sacrifices. One of the reasons why I believe that he cried was the fact that, again, this exile was over 150 years ago. After 150 years, no one sought to rebuild. No one sought to take action and pour into this broken city. All this time, no one wanted to step up and say, let's just do this. This was a need among the people of God, and no one sought to fill it. So Nehemiah sees the need. He repented. He prayed for strength. God gave him the vision to serve. Then he took action. One thing I want to point out, notice there, there was no miraculous moment in, the, in this story. There was no burning bush. There was no fire from heaven. There was no angel with a fiery sword that appeared to him. God just put it on his heart to do. He didn't even need that. He just saw the need and said, let's just do it. Within the body of Christ, there's needs to be filled. Within the local church, there's needs to be filled. We, have more, we need more volunteers in our children's ministry. Thankfully, we have people, we have pending volunteers that see the need and they're willing to take action. But we had to put a pause on our fourth and fifth grade ministry because we didn't have enough volunteers in children's ministry to serve. That's a need in the local church that needs to be filled. We need more volunteers in the production team. It's not always easy taking notes and trying to worship with others while you're managing the slides. You have a few volunteers, but when we're grateful, but we need more. We need more people that are willing to step up and say, I see the need, so I'm just going to do it. If you know that God has gifted you, and you know that God has given you the skill, that's your prayer. God, just give me what I need to serve and just go do it. There are people all throughout this area within the body of Christ. Coastal is there's made up of several churches. There's several people that come to this church needing to be discipled. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Jonah and how Jonah could have used his testimony to walk with somebody who was headed in that same direction. There are several people that are coming in this church that need to be poured into, that may be headed down the same direction that you already went down. Are you just going to notice that, or are you going to say, come here, let me take you under my wing. Take action. There are people that need to hear the gospel in our family, in our community, in our neighborhoods, at our job? Are we just going to watch them knowing where they're headed after this life is over? Are we going to take action and say, come here, let's talk. I want to share something with you. Nehemiah saw the need, and he didn't need a bush on fire. He didn't need an angel to show up. He just saw the need, and he knew this is what needs to be done, so let's do it. My question to you, who needs to be discipled? Who needs to hear the gospel? Who needs to be poured into? Who needs to be taken out for lunch because you know they're struggling? It's not enough to pray. 
Prayer is important. But we pray so that God can give us the strength on how to move forward. Pray. Seek God's face. But then do something. Do something about it. If you see a ministry in this church that needs more volunteers and you know you have the skills, do it. Take action. Take action. We need your gift. Someone needs your testimony. Someone needs your experience. Someone needs your voice. There's needs that need to be filled. And based on scripture, God is saying, take action. Some of you already prayed. Now what? If you want to serve in children's ministry, let me know. We'll get you a background check. We'll take you through the training, and I'll give you a start date. You want to serve in production? Let Jesse know. Let Jesse Martin know. She'll give you everything you need. There's several needs. We need drummers. Michael Covell, just let me know right now we need drummers. So see him after service if you can play the drums. We need to take action. Nehemiah's prayer, when you unpack it, it's parallel to the gospel. Nehemiah's ministry, Nehemiah's heart, his desire, his desire, it's parallel to the gospel. The first thing Nehemiah does in his prayer, who is God? That's how we unpack the gospel. Who is God? God is holy. He's righteous. He's great. He's awesome. He's sinless. Who are we? We're sinful. We're made in God's image, but we're sinful. We rebelled against God. That's how we got in this mess. How did the world get so chaotic? Because man who was made in the image of God rebelled against him, trying to live life on their own terms. Sin came into this world based on our sin. It separated us from a holy and a righteous God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. What was God's plan? God's plan, instead of giving us his wrath, he planned to send us his son. He saw the need and he took action by giving us his son. Jesus came to this earth lived a sinless life that we couldn't live, being tempted at all points and still remained sinless. He took the sins of us upon himself, and he took the wrath of the Father by dying on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he bodily rose. He saw the need. He took action. What do we do with this? We heard the gospel. What do we do? We take action. We repent. We confess our sins. We surrender to Jesus as Lord. Based on this text, God wants us to be aware of the needs that's in his body. God wants us to know we are sinful, but we're still a family in Christ. We pray for one another. We lift up one another. We take the burdens to God, and then we do something about it. And so I want to close with, if you look at your bulletin, there were a reach, there was a reach three card that came with your bulletin. Y'all can come up. You look at that reach three card. This is a form of taking action. What we're doing at every campus, I want you to think of three people, three people 
that either need to hear the gospel or need to be discipled. Three people that you know that need to be poured into. If you want to disciple someone, you want to mentor someone, let us know. Coastal has the resources on how to walk with someone through life, how to mentor someone. We have the books. We have everything you need. I want you to think three people that need your voice, that need your presence, they need your testimony, they need your skill. I would even challenge you to think of an, a ministry that you can serve in. And what we're going to do, I want you to hold on to that. And I want you to pray over it. And I want you to pray that God would give you the strength and the wisdom on how to move forward. So if you look at your bulletin, you'll find a Reach 3 card. And if you don't have one, just raise your hand. We'll make sure the ushers get you one. Every row should have pins somewhere. There's pins. But I want you to take time out right now. And I want you to write three people that need to hear the gospel or three people that you can pour into. And then we're going to take time and just pray over that list. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get those cards out and start writing. So, Father, we thank you just for this moment. We thank you for this time of vision. We thank you for this time unpacking your word, this prayer of Nehemiah. God, you gave this church vision to connect, grow, and serve. And as we're moving into the, and transitioning into this season of small group, we're looking to bring more members. Members are looking to join and find out who we are by coming to We Are Coastal. We pray for wisdom. We thank you, Lord, that you're great and you're awesome and you chose us and your sovereignty to serve you. And we're humbled and we're grateful. We pray, Lord, that as we move forward, that God, you would give us the wisdom to take action, see the need, and not just watch, but roll our sleeves up and put our hands to the plow. We pray, Lord, for these three people that were writing on our list, that their needs would be met. That, Lord, if their need is a savior, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and that they may confess their sins and declare him as Lord of their lives. That if their need is discipleship, you would allow them to, their hearts to be receptive, to being mentored and being poured into. We just thank you for this moment. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're getting ready to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.